0: Galadriel, the only woman of the Noldor to stand that day tall and valiant among the contending princes, was eager to be gone. No oaths she swore, but the words of Feanor concerning Middle-earth had kindled in her heart. For she yearned to see the wide, unguarded lands, and to rule there a realm at her own will. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Watch Party, Lord of the Rings, where we look at Tolkien through the lens of adaptation. As always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Jen Gallagher, a.k.a. that grizzly, bare-chested dwarf chugging a beer right before Elrond and Durin's rock-breaking contest.
1: <laughs> that does sound like me. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and I am joined by your host, Michael Rowland, a.k.a. King Durin III.
0: Oh, so that, that's a good one because I get to be your boss in this situation. Well, it's uh, all Rings of Power all the time these days, folks. We are less than a month away, mere days, really, from the premiere of what we've been looking forward to for over a year now. I mean, we're going on two years almost since we launched this podcast. Um, the Rings of Power is about to debut, and we've seen, I think, all the trailers we're going to see, and now we're getting still lots of really cool tidbits. Um, posters and articles are still coming out, a little nugget here and there every single day. And uh, so we're going to try and unpack all of that. There's been actually quite a bit that's come out since the last time we talked about, you know, leaks and articles. We've had a couple of other fun articles, uh, episodes recently. We had uh, the craptacular with all the watch parties getting together to for shenanigans and fun times. And Jen, you were able to join in on that. And I had to miss it, um, sadly, but it sounded like a really good time.
1: It was indeed.
0: And in our last episode, we had Dan from Voice of Geekdom talking about, Tolkien's canon for dummies which was a great episode but now we're getting back to our bread and buddy bread and buddy boy it is like
1: bread and buddy <laughs> I, you know because
0: in my head I was thinking bread and butter but also bread and honey which is a phrase I've heard so bread bread and buddy
1: <laughs> personally I like honey better than you know butter. that's
0: something I'd so, never of heard course. of that I don't know if it's a regional thing I'd never heard of that until recently like I heard it in a movie boy now we're really getting off topic <laughs> <laughs> As always, that's how we like to start these things off. But let's get back to it. Spoiler warning, we are going to be talking about leaks for the Rings of Power. And... I think the first thing we should talk about, Jen, don't you, is there have been some posters that are dropping, these little images. Yes. Gorgeous, right?
1: Beautiful posters. Yes, a lot of them just look like illustrations. They're very artistic, and each one tells a story. Each one is painting a picture and giving you just a little bit more insight into the characters, into the world, and I think you're going to particularly like the first one that we're going to talk about Um, The first one that they released, Michael, because, of course, our dwarf friend is prominently featured along with an elf. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And this is I'm actually going to do them in reverse order. Everything we're going to do today is in reverse order from most recent to oldest, which we still haven't had a chance to talk about the panels from Comic-Con. So I I do want to chat about that with you because you got a chance to talk about with uh, Lauren from Lauren Does Cosplay. But um, I, I have not had a chance to revel in it with you. So we'll get to that eventually at the end of the episode I think. Um but yeah, first up is a poster indeed with Durin the Fourth and and uh Elrond walking through I don't know where this is. I mean, I think it's Lindon. You see the gold leaves and I just think they're adorable. I mean, just genuinely adorable. This is this is the friendship yes, that adorable. I'm looking forward to.
1: There's something very playful about this poster and you know that we're going to get the fun little jabs back and forth between the elf and dwarf that we love so much seeing in the films, the Lord of the Rings films. Um, and that dynamic is always really fun and I love the way that Elrond's arms are crossed and uh, you know, you've got the proud dwarf kind of making his way down. The height difference is so, is just funny, the juxtaposition.
0: Um, right. Right.
1: Is really great. But yeah, I love you got to love that dynamic. And it adds an element of levity to what is otherwise a very serious story most of the time. So I, I think that'll be some great comic relief in the show. Right.
0: Hopefully not too much comic relief. I know a lot of people didn't love the what they might call the silification of Gimli in the Lord of the Rings films. We've talked about this before. You know, he's a little bit more a source of comedic relief. In Peter Jackson's adaptation, than he is in the books. You know, dwarves are very stoic and serious, and I think a lot of people, myself included, are excited to see a more stoic and serious interpretation of the dwarves. So I don't want to see their friendship be fodder for you know comedic buffoonery. Um, but I, you know, I do like this. Is just an adorable. It's just so cute because <laughs> uh, you're right. The, the height difference is funny. It, it, you know, his the look on Elrond's face. Clearly, they're joking about something. Uh, he finds something amusing, and I've never seen Dorin Durin's beard quite like this before. In the other shots,
1: it's an epic beard. It's so beard.
0: long. I mean, they're called the long beards, but I th- I didn't realize they were really going this long with it. I mean, it's down to below his groin. You know, this is a serious serious beard. And I've seen this in some of the other dwarf shots that the beards are 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 just super super long, which I'm psyched about because they're called long beards for a reason. You know, that's a part of their cultural heritage that they have long beards, and so I'm glad that we're really really seeing that here one thing that occurs to me is we're seeing a lot more between durin and elrond than we are between celebrimbor and the dwarves now lore wise i'm kind of i was kind of expecting that the relationship between celebrimbor and the dwarves would be the focal point of that like positive exchange between those two communities um but we're not really seeing that here and actually i think there has been some implication that celebrimbor's interest in the dwarves is is entirely selfish and he wants to use the dwarves for his own ends, which is an interpretation I I find really fascinating. Just not one that I had considered before. Because we know about the the partnership and friendship between Narvi and Celebrimbor. They did the doors together. So I thought we were going to see a Narvi and I thought we were going to see Celebrimbor and Narvi just like broing out, having some brews, you know, talking about Mithril. Hey, my hammer's bigger than your hammer. (laughs) I thought that was going to be the the elf-dwarf friendship we were going to see. But I think now that Elrond and Durin is where that friendship is going to be uh, portrayed.
1: Yeah, I think they probably deliberately decided, mm-hmm. okay, Elrond is going to be the person. It's, it's the character people are already familiar with. It's the name that people are already familiar with. Sure. And so we're going to just basically turn Elrond, take a lot of that Calibra more action and put it onto Elrond because he's already a focal point. I'm still confused about Callum Brimbor's character. What is he going to do in the show? Uh, that remains to be brood. seen. He's going to brood.
0: He's just going to brood and like make his jewelry. And I think he's a goth elf.
1: Is he actually going to forge anything? I he mean, will, he I will
0: eventually. He will eventually, I'm sure. Yeah. So obviously it's sensible to strip out characters as needed, right? So I, I, I've heard people say, well... It makes sense to get rid of Narvi. What does he really do for the story? He can he's easily replaceable. Let's just merge him into Doran's character. And all right, if we're doing that, let's let's have Elrond be the friend. Like I I get that change and stripping away Narvi. Maybe he doesn't do anything. But I'm also very like resistant to doing that. Not just because I am not just because I'm a Tolkien fan that wants to see every character portrayed, but because from a storytelling perspective, I don't think we need to overly simplify the characters. I mean, granted there are still tons of characters there are 23 main focused characters so i get it i get it there's a lot going on so yes it makes sense to streamline but do we really need like just two dwarven characters that are going to be focal points cuz that's kind of what we're getting we're getting durin the fourth and disa durin the third but i think he's going to be less of a main character it's going to be durin the fourth and disa are going to be our main dwarven characters with all the other dwarves pretty much operating in the background like do we have to strip out the dwarven characters that much, like I would like to see, you know, I like the dwarves, but when you do that, then you're only seeing khazad Doom through the perspective of the ruling class, you know, the Durins and Disa. You're not getting to see the po- internal politics of, of the of the Longbeards. You're not. We may not get to understand that there are other folk, you know, the exiles from Nargothrond and other dwarven communities that um, fled during uh, at the end of the First Age when they're kingdoms were destroyed and they populated Casadum. like that would create a really interesting political landscape and cultural landscape a very diverse cultural landscape within Casadum. You just
1: need a whole spin-off show that is just about the dwarves. Yes I do. Let's be honest. <laughs> yes I do. I, I just don't think they have time in this show. There's so many other worlds and characters that they have to bring in. They've got to bring in the elves. They've got to bring in the humans and the Numenorians and
0: I you know. know. The hobbits,
1: they've decided, you know, that, that does sound like a lot. Yeah, they can't spend too, I too, know. too much time on any one kingdom.
0: I mean, you're so right. And
1: Game of Thrones face the same problem.
0: I mean, once you, you decide know, to
1: lots of tackle
0: a Tolkien mega epic and you make the decision, you're going to tell the this entire Second Age arc in one show. Once you make the decision, then you have to make all kinds of concessions to that first initial artistic decision
1: and they're gonna hurt for it's, the super uh, fan they're gonna hurt which is why i'm Nobody's gonna go back gonna... i'm just gonna raise
0: it one more time i like the idea that we suggested at the outset let's have multiple series kind of like the marvel franchise where there's lots of different pieces going on different series different movies and they all um it's like a quilt you know and you put them together to create the story of the second age so you te- tell all these other stories in my in minute detail and you really follow these characters and then you bring them together to culminate in the final battle or whatever i would have loved to see that but as much as amazon is committing to this one show that would have required an insane commitment you know <laughs> billions of dollars over you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of television and movies so maybe that's asking well you too much. heard it
1: here folks if anybody wants to you know, you know drop some billions on us we'll make it happen yeah
0: that's true <laughs> i i am Extending the offer to Bezos. Actually, Elon Musk may now be the guy. He's the only one with enough money to uh, see this vision through. So, hey, Musk, if you're (laughs) out there, if you want to pay me (laughs) and Jen to write uh, five to ten TV shows and, you know, maybe like six or seven full length movies, we're down for that project.
1: We will quit our day jobs, so, for
0: I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, let's check our email. Um, but <laughs> let's see when that offer comes in.
1: We'll check. We'll be checking for our email. Um, should we move on to the next poster? Yeah. Because I'm excited about this one. Fired up.
0: This is another poster. This was released just the other day. And here we see Galadriel standing before what looks like a ceremonial statue of, I'm assuming, an elf. And we'll talk about who that may be. Holding a sword that looks very much like her sword. That we've seen in other trailers. There's a lamp in front of the statue. Uh, behind, in the foreground. But standing behind her. Is Gil-Galad. In, so you see his golden robe. He's got his golden crown on. Uh, watching Galadriel. And Galadriel's got a downward glance. Sort of like she's um, paying her respects. Or lost in thought. And behind her is a wooded archway. This appears to be in Lindon. A very beautiful photo.
1: Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. It's like an illustration, basically. There's so much detail in it, and it's just, it screams Tolkien to me. It's very, very artistic. Lots of, I love the blue and green deep hues. They're doing that a lot, I've noticed in this show. A lot of blue, a lot of green. It seems very intentional, like some more earthy hues as well. Mm. Very striking colors. Very pretty. Yeah, very striking colors. It's a it's a great photo and I love this capture of Galadriel because I feel like this is sort of true to her essence in the books in many ways. In what way? Um the way that she's looking a little more contemplative. Mm. Um, right, not the brash
0: Galadriel, obviously, right? Not the action hero Galadriel. This is more the Lady of. Yeah, but of this Lorien. looks
1: like more third-age Galadriel that we know. Right. Um and yeah, this is just a beautiful photo of the elvish architecture and this elvish statue and the elvish lamp it's 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 really gorgeous i'm not sure who the statue's supposed to be maybe finrod
0: that's my guess as well and we'll see this in some of the other stuff that we've seen there are some new little short short promo videos it really seems like they're leaning into her relationship with finrod and his death being a significant catalyst for her journey like a really really important part of what launches her on her second age quest like to start the show Um, and Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that's something I think we're going to do a episode, a full length episode just on Galadriel's history. Actually, we, we created an agenda for that like a year ago and have held off on on recording it. So, uh, but when we do get into that, we'll talk a lot about the significance of Finrod to her life and her uh, motivations in the second age, Finrod's connection to Sauron and thus Galadriel's connection to Sauron. So there's a lot there and I think they're leaning into it. So I really think that this is Finrod both for that reason but also because of the sword it is the same type of sword we've seen her carry and her elven followers you know in her crew you know she's got mm-hmm, a little bit of a mm-hmm. fellowship that's running around with her in in the icy wastes trying to chase down sauron they they have similar swords Certainly. so this is you know, the the design of the sword is a mark of her house in some way maybe it's you know the of the line of finarfin maybe they all have swords of like this or maybe it's finrod style and they all copied it i don't know but it's a very similar sword design. Uh, and I'm thinking specifically about the cross guard is where it's really noticeable. Um,
1: yeah, very distinct.
0: I would also comment, and I hadn't really thought much about this before, but this distinctive cross guard, it looks kind of similar to the sword that we've seen Adar carrying. Now, his is more like twisted and glisteny black than mm-hmm. Galadriel's is. But the crossguard design, there are some similarities there. So I I don't know exactly what that means, but obviously it seems to indicate, and I'm kind of suggesting, that there is perhaps a familial relationship between Galadriel and Adar. And I know that's been speculated already, Ooh. that he could be like a long-lost brother. Um,
1: juicy. Yeah, very
0: juicy. I don't want to get into that. That would be very kind juicy. of lore-breaking. But, you know, the existence of Adar is a little bit lore-breaking anyway, and I, I'm...
1: Oh, know, definitely.
0: I can live with it. So, uh, But we'll just put a pin on that. Maybe Adar is related to Galadriel or part of the same house. And is he connected to Finrod? How is he connected to Gladiol? That will be something we can speculate about going forward. Let's talk about the the, the setting that they're in. So clearly she's in front of, it's a ceremonial, it's not a tomb. I don't think he's in a tomb here. I don't think there's room for a tomb. And in the lore, he's buried, you know, somewhere far away. He act, he, it may or may not even be around in the second age. Like maybe it's underwater. Or maybe it's on an island that's been raised up. You know, I guess that's possible. Um, perhaps they changed the lore to make his burial site in a part of Middle Earth that has survived, that survived the calamity of the sinking of Beleriand. But my hunch is that this is just an honorary statue and not his tomb. And I think this is an area mm-hmm. that is designed for that. You know, you can kind of um, definitely. You know, you can see behind. I think there's lamps that line the road, and I think there's yep. probably a lamp in front of, each lamp is in front of a statue, I would guess. You can't see them, you can't make it out, but I would bet that there are little, that there are figures in behind each lamp. And you can kind of see up in the upper right behind gil head, you can make out a, a face. So there is another figure in the poster tree uh, behind gil so we know there are at least two figures which leads me to believe that this is an area designed for the for this purpose a ceremonial purpose and there are probably a bunch of other figures in here as well so it's kind of like a their version of a graveyard
1: yeah Ooh, I like we have never seen that depicted for the elves on screen too so it's a very unique uh, concept yeah how do they honor the fallen before, how do
0: they it... honor the dead right right
1: yeah I like that we get to see that snippet of culture here Very cool. Yeah.
0: Because there are plenty of dead elves, right? And even though they're reincarnated (laughs) back in Valinor, you know, so it is a very different experience for the elves remaining in Middle Earth because they know that they have, they rise again in Valinor, right? So they know that they're dead, but not really. But
1: they're still gone from Middle Earth. They're They're still still very gone from
0: them. And, you know, for the elves, they are experiencing a version of living death in a way, right? Because that's what is referred to Mm -hmm. as the fading of the elves in the third age is when it really, really kicks in, but it's is something that they experience and struggle with, um, in the second age as well. And it's a function of their, their immortality. They are, the world around them is fading and degrading and falling away. And so are they kind of, and the mm-hmm. loss of their loved ones, um, in this manner where their physical form is destroyed. And even though their spirits are rehoused back in Valinor, they're no longer in Middle-earth with them. So it's all part of the fading and the degrade, the, the decay of Middle-earth for the elves that remain.
1: Right. And the elves have such a sorrowful sorrowful trajectory yeah. in Middle-earth. And I like that. I like the more sorrowful glimpses of the elves yeah. um, because it, it is a lot of what's in the books, actually.
0: One last note on this photo, the caption of the tweet when the, the, the Lord of the Rings on Prime Twitter account tweeted this picture out, It says, they said, every legend has a beginning, which seems to suggest that the person that Galadriel is sort of bowing her head in honor of is the beginning of the legend, at least for Galadriel. Which, again, supports the idea that this is Finrod, there's a deep connection there, and that her relationship and love for Finrod has sort of triggered her on and set her off on this mission. So that, you know, her relationship with Finrod is the beginning of the legend.
1: Yes, that definitely tracks that definitely makes sense. It's a perfect catalyst to like set set her in motion, yeah. right? on her quest. Yes.
0: I don't think we'd see this much Finrod, I'll be honest. Uh, I thought okay, we're getting a little glimpse of whatever this battle is, uh, it's just going to be real quick and we're going to move on. But I love that they're leaning into her history, her backstory, what drives oh, her, yeah. you know. Uh, we we talked about Clearly,
1: and, they've spent a lot of time thinking yeah. about it.
0: And other people are picking up on this as well that this show is going to be about Trauma and PTSD is sort of the modern term we would use for it, but the trauma of the War of Wrath and and the end of the First Age and everything that means for Galadriel and Gilgalad and how do they rebuild and how do they continue on after going through so much suffering and they are not messing around with that theme. I think it is really going to be pervasive and I I love that. You know, it's not just on the surface. Like, all right, we'll get our characters together and we'll we'll someone will say a line about the past and. Then we'll move on from that, and then it'll just be action, and they won't really continue exploring it. I think from everything we're seeing, they're really going to explore these themes continuously, at least throughout this first season.
1: Oh, yeah. They're going deep. Deep.
0: All right. (laughs) All right. So next we're going to look at a video clip. Now, the nice thing about these video clips is that it's really just a repackaging and rehashing of old images and old videos. So there's not a ton to unpack, but each of them has a little something new. So let's take a look at this one. The skies are strange. The moment we feared is here. Sauron has returned.
1: Stand with me and fight.
0: Elves and dwarves working together. The fate of Middle Earth is in our hands so even though i said that there isn't a lot new in that video that actually that video actually did have a good amount of new footage you know we see elrond in Casa doom from a new angle uh, we see a charge of mounted cavalry a really big army of mounted cavalry we can't make out from that mm-hmm. distance whether they're numenorean or uh, you know men of the east or uh, middlemen of, of middle earth We see a new shot of Halbrand swinging a sword in Numenor. So there's actually a lot of new little nuggets in here. One that I kind of want to mention, well, and I guess first before we even get into that, the caption that was tweeted out with this is, the fate of Middle-earth is in their hands. I don't know that there's a lot we can get from that, but one of the things that I noticed is you see Halbrand swinging the sword. Now,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. we know that his sword pommel uh, or handle is sort of a horse head. We saw that in his character poster. And you can't really make it out in in that particular shot in this um, teaser trailer. But we saw in that poster, it's it's a horse head. In the background, when he is swinging that sword, you can see a row of swords with horse heads, which indicates to me that that sword that he carries that is featured in his poster is not something he brought with him from Middle Earth, if indeed he is a man from Middle Earth it is just sort of a your run of the mill every soldier in numenor gets one numenorean sword so it was it was given to him when he arrived so i guess he he gets there with galadriel he gets in good with the numenorians you know good enough that he's allowed to fight with them they give him a sword they arm him and so it's just a numenorean sword so i, I think that's interesting because a lot of people were wondering well what where's this horse iconography coming from and people assume that halbrand would maybe be a uh, an early uh, version of the people of Rohan, you know, one of their forebears. And then people were freaking out about that because it's like, Oh, those people weren't really doing the Rohan stuff until the third age. Like even the forebears of the people of Rohan um, weren't a- really around. I mean, obviously there were people in middle earth, so they all came from somewhere, but the recognizable horse culture wasn't around until the third age. So where's this coming from? This is a Numenorean sword. And it was, as we talked about in a prior episode, Horses are are an important part of Numenorean culture, so it makes sense that this is a Numenorean yeah. sword, and that's where he's getting it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see Halbrand's role. And is she talking in one of these shorter video clips? Um, Galadriel says, "Fight with me," right? right? And is she talking to him? Is she talking to who? Is she talking to?
0: Yeah, she could be talking to like Halbrand. We- certainly, she could be talking to Muriel to the extent that her purpose in Numenori is to talk Muriel into coming to, back to Middle-earth. She could be talking to Elendil. I think those are the three main candidates.
1: Hallbrand is still one of those mysterious characters that we're just... I'm just wondering, you know, what what is going to be his function? Right. Is he going to be the romantic interest? I, I know they trained a lot together. Yeah. They They did fight sequences together. They did underwater sequences together. Like, you have to know he's going to be in the show a lot right. it sounds like he has a pretty major role but i'm still filling in the gaps of who is this guy right. who's not in the books whatsoever right um so i i'm very very curious um i can't say i'm you know excited necessarily the most excited about him of anyone right. but um certainly i'm wondering if they're posing him as like the romantic intrigue for the fans or something like that because otherwise i just i don't know but what yeah like what function is he he looks like a warrior here right he's swinging the sword like he's very comfortable with it perhaps he'll function as her general or her second in command or help on her quest to who knows you know hunt down evil it's it it's remains to be seen
0: yeah uh, so (laughs) i groaned when you mentioned that there could be a love love connection um, I, just cause I don't want too much saccharine, you know, run of the mill rehashed type of romantic plots. Um, I don't have a problem with romantic plot lines. Obviously they're really important. Like I don't, I'm looking forward to seeing the Erendir and Bronwyn romance play out, see where that goes. And I've kind of come around to the idea that, yeah, it's actually important, not just like acceptable, but kind of important that we see that relationship on screen as part of this epic. Um, because the idea of elf and human unions and all the thematic components that go into those stories are a big part of the Silmarillion and the, the Legendarium in general. So having that component in the show in some way is great. I don't think it makes sense to do it twice, you know, because if we're doing mm-hmm. Galadriel and Halbrand having yeah. a love interest, like, okay, now we have two of those elf human unions, and so why are we doing two? And it kind of, they kind of undermine each other. They kind of cannibalize that thematic function.
1: Yeah, I have to agree. It's it can be overkill for yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, big time. Um, yeah, I I'm like you, I'm not unexcited about Halbrand. I don't have an issue with him. I just have no idea who he is or what his purpose is. Sort of, I don't even know
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It hasn't
0: been confirmed yet whether or not he's Numenorian or uh from Middle Earth. For a long time we were being told Halbrand's from Middle Earth. So we were trying to piece that together. How like is he a stowaway? Is that how he ends up from Middle Earth? In the middle of the ocean with Galadriel on this boat, like how does that happen? Um, but more recently, I have heard people speculate that he's actually a Numenorean soldier
1: hmm. fleeing
0: his life in Numenor for some reason or another. Like, uh, and we've heard Interesting. we've heard that in interviews with Charlie Charles Vickers, who's the actor that plays Halbrand, talking about where Halbrand is in his journey and what his character arc is, and he said that. Halbrand is someone who's running from his, I think he said running from his past or just looking for a new, new road. So that would track with the suggestion that he is Numenorean and was fleeing from Numenor. And that actually works out nicely with him being with Galadriel on the shipwreck, because if she gets shipwrecked close to Numenor and he is fleeing Numenor and also gets shipwrecked, right? Then that that kind of tracks. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to somehow stow away on the elven boat, um, right? right. So
1: that makes a lot makes more it a sense. A lot simpler, actually. Yeah.
0: And then you know, and we've also seen shots of Halbrand fighting with the Numenorean army. So how yeah, would how go. would a middleman, you know, immediately be given a role of esteem within the Numenorean army, being allowed to fight alongside Elendil and and those really? Uh, lordly folks. It could be because Galadriel vouches for him, and but I don't think she has that much sway. And uh, I think it makes more sense for him to have had a role in the Numenorian army previously. He was running away, but gets shipwrecked and immediately comes back. So no one knows that he was running away. Like that doesn't, he doesn't get caught. Or maybe he gets caught, but it's not so egregious that he like loses his title and status within the Numenorian army. So that's why he continues appearing with the cavalry and, and all those shots alongside Gladro. So I'm, you know, we're kind of making a leap here, but I'm now. We're
1: on to you, Hal Brand. I'm now thinking we're he's on Newidorian. to you. We've got you pegged. <laughs> We've got you pegged, my friend. I, what, the last thing I want to say about this video, because there's a lot of repeat shots. Yeah. Did you notice the. Did you notice the shirtless dwarf? There's like a shirtless dwarf with a big old. Of course, I noticed a
0: shirtless dwarf. That's why I I called you the shirtless dwarf. That's the funniest touch. That's that's who you are. I named you the shirtless dwarf. Oh, yeah.
1: I forgot you named me that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Let's see. Let's see. Oh, because I mean, these dwarves, I love that shot. They are so metal. Look at that guy.
1: They are. I love the detail with the dwarves
0: and all their beards. Like, look how long that guy's beard is. So you should be proud I named you that beard because that that dwarf because I am his beard proud is look legit. at that guy he's pretty cool he's got a big old mug of ale he's... just chilling out and he's, with no yeah, shirt
1: chugging the ale <laughs> yeah. I love um just the presence of the elf amidst all these dwarves that look kind of riled up yeah it's just really funny this tall regal, regal elf juxtaposed with the dwarves yeah. here
0: and clearly so he's walking into some sort of I, this is probably from the rock breaking scene where he arrives in khazad Doom and Durin challenges him to a rock-breaking contest, I guess. I think that's because they're friends by this point, but Durin's very seriously going to be challenging him to a rock-breaking contest. I think it's probably ceremonial. He has to do it to get Elrond in with the rest of the, uh, the dwarves, right? Because they aren't going to be as trusting or loving towards an elf that they're not familiar with as Durin is, who already knows him. So I think this ceremony is actually Durin's way of ingratiating Elrond into the dwarven community you know so he can be kind of one of them one of one of the crew and uh i think this He's is been initiated. this is this that ceremony and i th- i think like you see all these dwarves their arms are up i i can just hear them mm-hmm. going fight 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 you know it's like a college, a college frat party they're drinking booze they got their shirts off they're like ready to party it's
1: gonna be a good time a uh, this is a good time
0: and look at that horn it's right yeah. next to uh not right next to elrond it's a like a yep. viking style horn of ale that's
1: you have to have a horn mm-hmm. when you're talking about
0: the dwarves. Yeah, i love it what do you think all the red is on the walls i mean the the rock there's this hole in the ground it's not a hole but it's texture on the ground is very red what what do you think that is
1: it almost looks like lava yeah to me i wonder but i'm not sure
0: i wonder well i don't think it could be right there's been no indication anywhere that there's lava or a volcano or any sort of volcanic activity in that i'm aware of that would be interesting though
1: yeah it certainly has a cool effect Um, Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's exciting that in these these short trailers that we're getting, these short teaser, little teasers, there's always just a couple new shots, just a couple of shots we haven't seen before. Yeah. You know, just enough to keep us wanting more.
0: Yeah. All right. Shall we do the next one? Next one. All right. So this is actually the first poster that we saw. We see Galadriel standing in an archway holding a sword. This is Numenor in the background, I'm pretty certain. She's wearing a green dress. It's flowing. There are mm-hmm. look what looks like, I think these are petals, not birds. White petals flowing around here. Yeah, petals for right? sure. They're, they're consistent with the falling petals of Nimloth we've seen in the other trailer. What do you think about this this poster? Because I've heard mixed reviews.
1: Oh, I love this poster. I love the 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 use of masculine and feminine in one image with the sword she's holding, more masculine object, and this flowy, beautiful dress. Um, I think the lighting is really beautiful. I think incorporating the trees, or incorporating Nimlof the tree is really clever in this way right. with the petals swirling. I think it's a beautiful image. Yeah. Um, She's looking away. She's not looking directly at the camera. It's like the perfect marriage of Galadriel, the warrior, and Galadriel, the woman. Uh, I love it.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I like the, uh, the construction of the image for all the reasons you just stated. You get a beautiful shot of Numenor in the background. What I don't love about it is that this poster, and actually all the posters share this quality. It feels a little bit like... There's CGI elements, there's digitally recreated elements. These are clearly not stills from the set. Um, I think it it feels like they... All right, let's take the background of Numenor, a digital version of that. We'll we'll drag uh, Galadriel's body into the middle. And so it feels a little digitized, so it looks a little fake. So it just doesn't feel as good as the stuff we've seen from the set. But I'm not too worried about that because we've seen so much good stuff like oh, the only yeah. reason to be concerned about it, a poster that doesn't look great, uh, as I'm describing, is if you think it indicates a general poor, generally poor quality of production. And we know that's not the case. I'm 100 percent confident that the the look and feel of the show in general will be great. So I'm OK with one poster that looks like CGI mix and match like Adobe Photoshopped.
1: I love the title to daughter of the golden house. Galadriel, daughter of the golden house. Yeah is the
0: title yeah and we heard from some early leaks from fellowship of fans that when she first appears in front of Tarmiriel, she gives a stirring speech during which she recites her lineage you know as a daughter of the house of finarfin so we are going to get to hear all of that she's a daughter of the golden house um and i'm excited for that that's supposed to be a, sort of a hair-raising moment
1: <laughs> yes i'm excited for all those gladrial moments <laughs>
0: Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Rennells, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark, or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. so this one it's got some action let's let's take a gander
1: a lot of action shots my brother gave his life hunting the enemy his task is now mine
0: you have fought long enough galadriel you have not seen what i have seen evil does not sleep
1: Oh, man. Um, The shot where she's holding her brother's, or presumably her brother's helmet, and surrounded by orc bodies and just, you know, the fallout of clearly a battle is really, really striking. Um, But obviously also (laughs) what stands out is her running up this sword and jumping off to strike down her enemy. What's weird about that? Um, I, yeah, I, I was like, do I hate this or do I like it? Um, Where did you, you land? Because it's a little, it's a little over the top. Um, it's a little over the top for me, the battle scene, but I mean, it is a cool stunt. Is this, for you, and... is this
0: more Legolas walking gracefully on top of the snow without boots, heavy boots, or is this more Legolas running up falling rocks like from The Hobbit?
1: yeah. It like verges on it verges on a little too much for me. Mm-hmm. A little too much, like yeah, let's make her a serious badass. But I mean, yeah, it's fine. As I as long as the whole thing isn't gonna be, yeah, you know, one action shot after the other. Like I can stomach some some action as long as it's well executed. Looks like it's well executed.
0: Yeah, it doesn't quite jump the shark for me, but I am like I'm very sensitive to action scenes being very absurd. I think action scenes can be great, but I like them to be more up close, grittier, more personal. I I, I want almost
1: like the first scene that they show, right? The very first scene in that battle that looks real.
0: Yeah, and w- the very first yeah, scene in this promo. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we we'll, we'll get to that. I have some things to say about that too Um, (laughs) but you know I I just don't like the general trend in Hollywood the way that they conceive of cool action moments as being cool like I they seem unrealistic to me so I don't think they're cool yeah I get it you want to show an elf being a little superhuman in terms of strength and agility and I'm all for that because that's totally true and some of the stuff that happens is like absurd in the Silmarillion if you read the text there are all kinds of descriptions of fights and stuff that really, if you were to play them out, are ridiculous. Like um, an mm-hmm. elf jumping up and stabbing somebody with the spike of his helmet. Like, that sounds ridiculous. Right.
1: They do They do things. Yeah, yeah they do extraordinary things, physical and things. And actually,
0: but... <laughs> in The Nature of Middle Earth, Tolkien describes the physical capabilities of dwarves, or not dwarves, but of elves, like that they actually have kind of super speed, that they have the ability to move so fast that they would appear as a blur to mortal eyes. Mm-hmm. Which is like, oh, really? That's, that's kind of intense. Like, they're all the Flash? <laughs> and we never actually see <laughs> that play out. Because that would be ridiculous if you actually think through that. I mean, because in all the battle scenes, we get elves and men standing side by side, fighting together. We get, we get men defeating elves sometimes. We get men saving elves. If all the elves right. were actually, like, the Flash, that would never happen. <laughs> you know, they would not be able to yeah. stand side by side as equals on the battlefield. Anyway, to bring this all back... I'm okay with this scene. It's not totally ridiculous. All she's doing is she's jumping off of a sword. Like he puts a sword down as a ramp, and she jumps off it. He lifts he lifts her up a little bit to propel her a little bit more. For if we can see that an elf has sort of superhuman strength, I think that's plausible. You know, a normal mortal man couldn't do that because they wouldn't have enough leverage and it'd be too difficult probably. But it's not that far beyond normal human capabilities. So it's I think it's cool. It's fine. I just don't want him to go too much farther than that. Like, Same. for me, the best action scene I ever saw was in Game of Thrones, The Battle of the Bastards, That where it was oh just so, like, you get claustrophobic with the grittiness. It was
1: so gritty, yeah. so gritty, and so realistic. Yeah. And again, like, I felt like in the original Peter Jackson movies, because um, Viggo Morton said insisted on doing his own stunts, learning the fight choreography. It all just looked, a lot of it looked so good. Yeah. And so realistic. And that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of more what I would prefer. Well, and
0: a, a fun um, feature what... of, uh, a fun little piece of trivia is that Viggo Mortensen, because he's a little bit method, uh, so on set, all the characters had multiple versions of their like swords or other type of swinging weapons. They would have the real version that was had all the weight and the heaviness that was for, like, up-close shots, right? Um, this is the real sword. It looks great. And they would have uh, lighter versions that were made out of lighter materials, So they could swing them more easily. They could fight with them more easily. I think it won't surprise you to learn that Viggo Mortensen always insisted on carrying around the real sword, full weight. The real sword. All of his battle sequences, he's swinging this like really heavy sword. And so I think you can kind of tell, like, he's working a little harder. The sword isn't swinging quite as fast and it looks more realistic. It looks
1: more realistic. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like. So, what's your gripe? What's your gripe with the first scene where we get the epic first stage battle? It's
0: no, it's not a gripe. I, I don't have a gripe. I just want to point out that. You know, we have seen the the very very first image, which is basically a melee of orcs and and elves. We've seen that before in one of the prior trailers, but here we get a little bit more footage of Finrod fighting. And again, we see, mm-hmm. look, we see his sword, that characteristic cross guard. Actually, we saw it in the other scene too, with the the elf um, putting laying his sword down for Galadriel to run up. His sword also had the identical cross guard. So. I was talking before about how all these elves from this line and this crew seem to have the same sword. So that's sort of just pointing that out again. But it's just kind of cool to see Finrod feeling very, very human. Um, So I, I I like the look and feel of this scene. My only actual gripe of it, I've been watching YouTube videos by historians or experts in certain types of historical weaponry or battle styles where they evaluate movie scenes for accuracy, like how accurate is the scene from Braveheart? How accurate is the sword fright from Witcher, right? That type of thing. And by watching that, I kind of realized how unrealistic a lot of battle scenes are. Um, and <laughs> and one of the comments that was made was like in a real medieval battle, you would have, you know, you have lines that, that line up and uh, you would have the way that the, the troops would move would be kind of organized and in this shot, we mm-hmm. see an absolute melee, total chaos. chaos. There's no lines, there's no battle formations, there's no groupings. You can see the elves are totally outnumbered, like, I don't know, 10 to 1, and you see, barely see two elves together. They're all isolated and surrounded by orcs. Now, maybe that's just a function of, hey, maybe this is just the Battle of Unnumbered tiers or and there are battles where... The the ranks get split, and all the battle formations go to hell, and it is a melee. That does happen, um, and maybe that's just what's happened here. Milkor, or Morgoth, sent all of his forces out of Angband, and ranks of the elves were broken, and they just got totally overwhelmed, and this is the result of that. They're just fighting for their lives. But I am hopeful that if we see other large battles, we will get to see some semblance of historically accurate Battle tactics, um, because that's just an attention to detail that I would appreciate, and I, I don't want to see them... They they have so much attention to detail to everything else, to language, to every other aspect of the show. I want to see that same I'm just same hoping level there's
1: of, not too many battle scenes. Well, yeah, personally. but to the extent we get
0: those battle scenes, I <laughs> want them to be very well thought out, a lot of attention to detail, mm-hmm. and just... You don't have to go crazy, but show me no. that you care about that aspect of it as well.
1: Yeah, I would be very surprised if we get tons and tons of battle scenes i think especially in this first season i think there's going to be flashback battle scenes yeah. but i don't think right out the gate there we're going to see you know everything's going to come to a head it's going to be a slower build
0: yeah and they've indicated that they will have fewer large army battle scenes which i appreciate i like the more up right. close and personal gritty type of fights um, when that does happen excellent you wanna speculate about what battle this is? I think we talked about it a little bit before, but we might have a better idea now. Do you have any new thoughts?
1: You know, I mean, I think it's it could just be the bat as you said, the battle of unnumbered tears would make sense to me. Yeah. Um, because Finrod Finrod is present, it's not going well. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> A lot of elves died. A lot, of, and they're trying to show the carnage, right? They're trying to show this was devastating. Look how many elves died. Look how hard they fought against this enemy. This envy is, e- this enemy is no small thing. Like this is, this is serious stuff here. We need to take this th- threat seriously. That's what's in Galadriel's mind. So I think they're trying to depict that with showing some of the more grueling battles that took place. Right. Uh, in the first stage.
0: I agree with you. I think it is the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. With all the increased emphasis on Finrod as an important part of Galadriel's history, I I think they're going to show more of him than I expected. And the Battle of Unnumbered Tears is an important moment for one reason, and that is it connects him to Elendil, uh, Mm. which will create a kinship and connection between Elendil and Galadriel which probably never existed in the actual lore until Elendil as an exile came to middle earth because we have no indication that Galadriel ever went to Numenor. But if she were to go to Numenor, I think she would find a kinship with Elendil because he possesses the ring of Barahir, which is the ring Mm -hmm. that Finrod gave to that line when he was saved at the battle of unnumbered tears. Uh, by Elendil's ancestor, right? He was sa- he was cut off, he was surrounded, and he was saved by Elendil's ancestor. And as a token of his appreciation, he gave the Ring of Bear here, which is a ring that comes all the way from Valinor. It was one of the treasures he brought, Finrod brought with him from Valinor. He gives that as a gift of appreciation and a covenant uh, of loyalty. And, you know, I will help you out if you ever need help. And to play that all the way through, that ring gets passed down to Baron, And it is because Baron is wearing that ring that Finrod goes, oh, I know you. I have to help you. And so Finrod leaves, goes with Baron on this fool's errand to try and steal a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown. And the course of doing that, he is killed by Sauron. He's captured by Sauron, put in Sauron's dungeons. All of Finrod's companions are, you know, eaten or mutilated or destroyed by werewolves because this is Tulsirion, the Isle Isle of Werewolves. And uh, Finrod survives long enough. To, he's saved for last. Finrod kills a, a, a werewolf with his bare hands and his teeth. I mean, this is this is serious business. But then he ends up dying <laughs> from that battle. So he, he kills the werewolf with his bare hands, mm-hmm. but still dies. And But the Ring of Bear here, he, he uh, Baron has it at that point, of course. So it, it survives and continues to get passed down and passed down and passed down until it makes its way uh, into the hands of Elendil. And so, Elinda will have that really important I hope we're going to
1: see that ring.
0: Me too. I obviously hope
1: we see that ring. We have to. But number two, why don't we have any more friendship covenant rings? Why aren't those a thing anymore? (laughs) I want to bring those back. Yeah. I mean, we have like marriage covenant rings. Right,
0: right. Should we have a podcast covenant ring?
1: A podcast covenant ring? Yeah. Yeah. We have like a microphone on the top
0: instead of of a jewel, a a little microphone.
1: We'd have to forge it ourselves.
0: That's easy, easy peasy. <laughs>
1: Obviously, easy peasy. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: But do you think do you think we'll see that 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 Finrod's death will play out as it did in the Silmarillion, where like the the way he died is at the basically at the hands of Sauron, or do you think they're gonna have him die in this battle? Because the implication from the way they've edited, like cut this little clip together, they make it seem like Finrod died in battle. They show Gladril holding um a helmet. When she says, you know, he died and his task is now mine.
1: I think, um, yeah, I think it's looking like they're going to simplify it and not Boo. play out the
0: whole. Boo.
1: <laughs> I think, I know, because I would love to see that too. But again, they don't have, I, the rights are confusing, but I'm not sure that they really could depict his whole story.
0: Well, I don't want to, I don't need them to depict it. I know they can't depict it, but then why Depicted in an incorrect way. I mean, all you have to say is that he died hunting the enemy, which is what she says. That those are her words.
1: Well, I think that's what they're doing. They're like they they're they're touching on it. Like they're going to depict this big battle. Yeah. Like ah, oh, here he is. See, and and it will be implied. Yes, he died at the hands of the enemy. You don't need to know specifics. Okay. Like I don't know that we're going to actually see him die. Yeah. We're just going to see him dead.
0: And I would okay. I would be hundred percent fine with that. Um they show I'm him pretty battling, sure that's what they're gonna do. And then she just says, and he died, but we don't actually see how. That I'm totally Yeah, down I with.
1: don't I don't think they're gonna depict his actual death. Yeah.
0: I'm hopeful Just
1: which is more powerful in a yeah. way. Like whenever possible, I think good filmmaking is like just don't spell everything out yes. for the audience. Like let our imaginations do some legwork, you know. Right. That's okay to do. Right,
0: right. And I think the if they together. keep it obscure and vague then that then if that's the case then i think they are implying that he died as he did in the lore because we see the shot of galadriel weeping over his dead body and, you know he's holding the dagger that we know she yes has. exactly and in that shot his dead body has what looks like scratch marks you know they don't look like sword wounds mm-hmm. they don't look like mm-hmm. wounds from a mace they look like scratch marks which
1: is perfect yeah. and i hope they don't yeah i hope because, they don't explain because- it
0: Don't say anything. Don't say where it came from, but we'll know. we will
1: all know. Werewolf. Werewolf scratched him. Yeah,
0: yeah. We will know. Be Michael J. Fox, Teen Wolf. All right, here's the next one. Again, another short little clip that's a rehashing of things we've already seen with maybe one or two nuggets. Come with me to Middle Earth. This kingdom belongs to us.
1: All was about to descend into shadow.
0: All right, so I picked up on something in this little clip that I think it may be kind of important. The very opening line, spoken by Galadriel, and she says, come with me to Middle-earth. Who do you think she's saying that to?
1: Tarmiriel, perhaps? It could be that she is asking her to come, you know, help with this threat. Who, that would be my guess. Yeah. You know, we know that she's a New Numenor and that she makes a plea to her. Right. Um, maybe she's talking to Hallbrand. Yeah. To help her fight, they formed a connection. Yeah. We know he's a big role in this first season. What do you think?
0: So I think both of those are, for the same reasons we talked about before, where she says, you know, come fight with me. She could be talking to Tarmirial. She could be talking to Halbrand. It makes a lot of sense. But actually, when I first heard that, my mind went somewhere completely different, which is probably wrong. But that could be her talking to Finrod, going all the way back to the decision to leave Valinor in the first place. Yeah. Um,
1: Interesting.
0: Because we know, and I'll just, here, let me just read a little clip from the Silmarillion talking about that moment when Galadriel leaves. This is from Silmarillion chapter nine of the flight of the Noldor. Quote, Finrod was with Turgon, his friend, but Galadriel, the only woman of the Noldor to stand that day tall and valiant among the contending princes, was eager to be gone. No oaths she swore, but the words of Feanor concerning Middle-earth had kindled in her heart, for she yearned to see the wide unguarded lands and to rule there a realm at her own will. So we know that Galadriel wanted to go to Middle-earth. She had her own reasons for going. It wasn't for the reasons that Feanor used to convince everyone else to go. She had her own reasons, but she wanted to go. And Finrod, it doesn't say much about what his desires were, you know, what his feelings were. Um, It says Finrod was with Turgon because they were friends, so he kind of went along. But I could imagine, if I were being creative and trying to play this out, and especially if you're putting Galadriel at the center of your Second Age plotline, and you're putting finrod at the center of her arc that you could play out the scene by having her sort of not pleading but asking finrod to go with her come with me to middle earth i want to go you come with me and then that's why he comes and that would make her feel not only the anger <sighs> guilt. at his death but
1: guilt i'm the guilt. reason he it adds died that whole other layer yeah, yeah.
0: So I would love to see that. And with everything we're seeing, the way that they're really leaning into Finrod as an important character and important to Galadriel, I would love to see that be the case. I don't know if we'll actually get to see the scene where they're departing Valinor, but we might because we're getting a lot more of the first age than we ever really expected. So I, don't, I hope that my theory is correct.
1: Ooh, yes. I hope you're correct as well. It's all setting up her backstory, and we need to care about her quest. We need why, wh- you know, we need to care and feel her pain yeah. and her drive in this whole story. We really need to know that. So as much backstory as they can give us is yeah. is going to be awesome.
0: Supporting my theory, just um, to point this out, the way they edit it together, and this could all be trickery, right? Trailers are designed to could. deceive, right? So they could edit things together in a way to make you draw a conclusion that is actually not going to play out. But oh, definitely the opening line where she says, "Come with me to Middle Earth," is said over the shot of an the elf uh, uh, walking over the ridge in Valinor. So it's a Valinor and elf. We've been told by Fellowship of Fans that pretty much mm. confirmed that this is Finrod. Right. So why play this piece of dialogue over a shot of Finrod in Valinor if they're not connected?
1: Ooh, it all makes sense. I y as you said before, I'm continually delighted by how much first age stuff is in here. Didn't expect it. Happy about it. Yeah. Um something else I do love so much from this this particular trailer, we see Disa um Disa's eyes, her yellow eyes. Oh yeah, eyes. totally. So beautiful that shot. Um When we get her up close with Duran is so cool.
0: I had never noticed Um, that in other shots. And I wonder if she really has yellow irises or if this is the reflect, it's a reflection of, you know, the gold in the the cavern around them.
1: Yeah, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, but it's just a really cool effect.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, very Um, much so.
1: Their relationship's going to be so cool to see. I mean, and the fleck. Ooh, I love I the flecks of shot. gold. There's a
0: little, there's a quick shot of a dwarf who, he just looks dirty, like straight out of the mines, like the coal mines is mm-hmm. what it looks like. Because his, his face is covered in dark soot. Um, his beard is filthy, but there's a little flecks of gold in it as well. So I guess he's working in a coal mine that also is a gold mine. I don't know, but it's awesome.
1: Yeah, this is a great shot. Um, I like this trailer a lot for the um, Harfoot at the end with what I'm sure is a wizard and the fireflies around, so magical, right. so sweet. He it looks like he's catching one and sort of interacting with it, releasing it. Right. Um, beautiful. Well, Makes me think for sure this is a wizard. Do you think that
0: these are fireflies? And the or, hobbit looks on. I- is this Fire that the wizard is sort of controlling or conjuring.
1: Oh. Now that I'm looking at it, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know either. I don't know.
0: It looks like you in this shot with the, you're know, this little piece right here, the, I think it would looks be fire. It's like
1: a fleck of something. You're yeah. right.
0: It could be fireflies. You're right. But she looks like she's just in awe. Maybe she's never seen fireflies in her neck of the woods before. So she walked to a new place and she's seeing fireflies and she's amazed. But it actually looks like she's amazed at what he's doing. So.
1: Right. Like she's witnessing exactly. some kind of magic. hmm. I, I was not excited for this relationship until more recently. And now I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about the Hobbit. um. Meteor Man relationship. Yeah. and what gets me just, a little more- just Maybe it's just my curiosity, just wanting to know. Right. What is right. this? Who is this? <laughs> Tell me
0: your secrets, Meteor Man. <laughs> yes. Something that makes me a little more excited as well is Professor Corey Olson, the uh, Tolkien professor, he's talked about his conversations when you know he went to San Diego Comic-Con, talked to everybody, and he talked to, I think, this actress, Marcella Markella Cavanaugh, and she told him- 'Cause obviously they couldn't divulge what the plot line was. They couldn't give away any spoilers, things that hadn't already been released. But she said, Nothing you've seen gives you any indication. Like there's no way you could know what the Harfoot plot line is from what you've seen. We've just seen the tip of the iceberg. So wow. it's it's as much of a mystery as you were That's feeling exciting. it's even more of a mystery. We have no idea what's gonna what's gonna be coming according to uh no Ms. idea Kavanaugh.
1: where this is going. Yeah. All right, they're gonna keep us guessing. Yeah. Cool. Should we move right along? Let's do it. The August 2nd, this was tweeted by the Lord of the Rings on Prime. There are clips mixed with behind-the-scenes commentary. And the caption is, every good quest needs a fellowship. And ain't that the truth?
0: It absolutely is. I need my podcasting fellowship. That's you. Fellowship of two.
1: Um, I love that this is yeah the production. We would get just the first director's commentary here, and we get some production shots. Patrick McKay, J.D. Payne talking about you know working on it is, and Markella Cavanaugh or sorry, Morfyd Clark, also talking about Galadriel. Uh, it I love hearing your talk about this character because she has such deep understanding of her motivations and what she suffered and how hard as she says how hard fought her tranquility is by the third age like how she arrived there
0: right right and this is the one of the first pieces of behind the scenes footage that we've seen to date right everything else is yep. has been i
1: think it's the only uh, interviews
0: in um the magazines and things like that but this is we're seeing on set behind the scenes interviews and i am hopeful we'll get sort of an appendices style behind the scenes documentary uh piece together either while we're going through the series which like hbo does that a lot of times after every episode you see some behind the scenes footage or a dump of it after the first season airs either way i want i want to see it
1: oh yeah oh yeah this is a longer one actually yeah which is really cool and it's it's man there's so much here there's (laughs) the sea monster sea creature still have so many questions about is it ulmo is who is it yeah
0: um so one of the the things that i picked up on here is we see a shot of bronwyn so we in the other teasers we saw bronwyn hiding and cowering in her house while an orc comes up through the floorboards and looks very horror movie-esque and we know that there's going to be a battle Mm -hmm. there but here we see a clip of her. It looks like she's fighting back, and I am so excited for that. Um, not that like there's anything wrong with, you know, hiding from a monster. Um,
1: Listen, I'd be cowering. Yeah, I would be cowering in my closet. Yeah,
0: man, woman, child, you're gonna cower when like an evil orc monster comes through. Um, and I would, ha- I have no problem with a female character being saved, whether by a male character or a female character. Sometimes, but where it becomes an issue. Is when the female character is always being saved. The female character is always helpless and he's, you know, the damsel in distress. And I don't want, I didn't want to see them fall into that trope. And it's a difficult balance because you also don't want it to be unrealistic where every character is always able to save themselves. Mm -hmm. You want people to be able to or need each other because that's an important part of adventures as well. But uh, at least in this moment, we're seeing Bronwyn, she's coming out to fight. She's scared initially. She overcomes that fear, and she's trying to save herself. And so, at least in one instance, we're getting that, and I'm happy about it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I it's a cool. It's definitely another cool action shot. That's uh, that's pretty realistic.
0: Something else that I I picked up on in this, and I don't want to go through it, you know, shot by shot. There's a lot here, but um, not everything is 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 new. One little new thing is we see a shot of galadriel and elendil standing on a ship and i mm-hmm. like that elendil is tall because in the mm-hmm. lore he is really tall he is almost eight feet tall which uh, is kind of nuts but right um you know i'm glad they didn't go full like george Murison, Minute bowl you know i i don't want them to actually need to get someone who's over seven feet tall because that'd be absurd but they made him taller than the other Numenorians, taller than Galadriel, taller than Halbrand, he's the tallest person on the ship in this particular shot, um, by a few inches. So it's sort of a nod to that fact that he is called Elendil the Tall. So yeah, you know, they don't want him to be played by a really short actor.
1: Well, Galadriel is also supposed to be really I tall
0: know, and more. Thin.
1: I know, <laughs> and I, I I have to disagree as a non-tall person. <laughs> can do a lot with camera angles now
0: that's true yeah. okay well i don't know how, don't be
1: so prejudiced i don't know how
0: tall lloyd <laughs> owen actually is i don't know if he is a tall person but he's being portrayed oh, but they're as they're depicting
1: tall. him as tall yeah. okay yeah. so you're fine with that got it um i have to say in the clip with mir in this little short teaser the clip with muriel walking up doesn't it look like she's actually holding a baby yes Every time I see that, it looks like she's holding a baby. Have you talked about that before? Uh,
0: so uh, I had the exact same instinct, and I never scrutinized that shot before because I was like, you see somebody holding uh, holding something as if it's a baby. You just think it's a baby, and I never second-guessed it. But I've heard other people say that, no, it can't be a baby. Like, she's not actually supporting the head correctly for it to be a baby. Also, why would she be walking around carrying a baby unless she had one? Um, or some sort mm-hmm. of weird ceremony, so I've heard people speculate that it's like an important scroll, some sort of ceremonial token that she's carrying. Mm,
1: that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, nowhere is it indicated that she would have a baby, but that would be, a, you know, an interesting turn of events for her.
0: That would be, yeah, pretty random. I mean, still though, look at the way it's swaddled. <laughs> like, there's the head. You know, <laughs> there's. Yeah. And it. The... <laughs> Man, when I look at it, it still just looks like a baby. It looks like you can see the the leg looks kind of. Looks like
1: a baby to me. This is nuts.
0: I mean, maybe part of the role of the Queen Regent is to, you know, bless She's newborn baptizing babies. She's yeah, yeah, Numenorean baptisms. I don't know. Yeah. I, mystery. Uh, it's a mystery. So we'll find out what that is as well. Or, or we won't. And there'll be lots of mysteries to uncover in this show. <laughs>
1: I, I'm going to read the quote in this from Morfid Clark. Yeah. Galadriel has been on a quest for over a thousand years scouring Middle-earth, searching for this elusive, undiscovered, very real evil. Ultimately, she knows this danger exists. This evil has to be stopped.
0: Now, before we talk about that, who who said that? What's the name of the person that said that? Morfid. <laughs> I've practiced <laughs> Her this. Her name is impossible. <laughs> Morvid.
1: Yes. I'm just going to do it. A lot of, a lot of concepts Mor- that
0: Right. That's, that's right, isn't it? <laughs> just lean into that R. There you go. Nailed
1: it. <laughs> Nailed it.
0: Uh, But no, I really liked this quote from her. Yeah. I'm glad you read that because it tells us a little bit about Galadriel. Now I was, so this is one of the earlier things that we saw and I was excited about it because it said it re- referred to Sauron as this elusive, undiscovered, very real evil. Elusive and undiscovered. Now, when I read that, I thought, okay, Sauron is going to be an unnamed evil. We won't even know, and the characters won't even know, and Galadriel doesn't even know that the evil she is seeking is Sauron. that goes by the name of Sauron. Is this one person that's Sauron. And I was really, really excited about that because I think that's uh, very, very consistent with the lore. And I, there's a little quote here mm-hmm. from, uh, this is from The Unfinished Tales. But eventually, Galadriel became aware that Sauron again, as in the ancient days of the captivity of Melkor, had been left behind. Or rather, since Sauron had as yet no single name, and his operations had not been perceived to proceed from a single evil spirit, prime servant of Melkor, she perceived that there was an evil controlling purpose abroad in the world, and that it seemed to proceed from a source further to the east, beyond Eriador and the Misty Mountains. I love this notion, that Sauron... Even though he is the, the top servant of, of Morgoth all through the first Age, even though we know as readers of the Silmarillion who get the benefit of the omniscience of the, you know, the writer of the Silmarillion using the frame narrative, we know it's Sauron. But the characters within the story don't know that it's Sauron. And why should they? When you really think it, stop to think about it. Right. Why would all the elves, you know, there's no roster distributed amongst your enemies uh, this is our org chart. We got Morgoth here at the top. Um, Sauron is the uh, vice president. Right. You know.
1: They don't why know. Why should they know?
0: Now, I I was sort of using past tense in terms of my excitement because we do see in another one of these videos that Muriel does name Sauron. <laughs> and so we do know the name Sauron. And we see it in the, the clip that was played on the Colbert show. In that clip, Galadriel says, he was here. Sauron was here, whatever the the line is. So, all right, my hopes and dreams that we would have an unnamed evil for the first season oh. were very bright for a moment and then quickly dashed.
1: But we may get to see them discover the name.
0: Maybe, right? sure, sure, sure. Maybe. Maybe, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> probably not. Uh, they're probably just, she's just gonna know who Sauron is the whole time. That kind of bums me out. Because I was... In addition to, you know.
1: You were hoping for a slower, slower Yeah, slower slower burn. We talked
0: about how much we wanted this to be slow, 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 slow development. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And if they know from, even if we don't see Sauron in the first season, which is one of the things we're excited about, his big reveal is going to take some time. If his name is used from the outset, this is the big baddie, this is the big baddie, and everybody kind of knows it, and the whole world is oriented around hunting down Sauron and finding Sauron. I think that kind of simplifies the conflict a little bit, you know, from the outset where the conflict lies. And I think it's more interesting as a journey for the characters to be in a conflict that they don't fully understand, you know, and for them to crystallize their understanding of the conflict through the seasons. That makes the ultimate uh, battle or, you know, whatever the climax of the conflict is much more satisfying and interesting and their journey to get there much more interesting. Um so where this if they're simplifying to be like, oh, I know who Sauron is and I know I'm just trying to find him. Uh that, that simplifies it a little bit too much for my taste. So I'm done with the show. I've decided. I'm not watching it. They've uh broken <laughs> the lore too many times. I'm sick of it. Tolkien's rolling in his grave. <laughs> find yourself a new co-host, Jen. <laughs> That's
1: funny. I'm gonna right before I know, the show ends, I know. We're we're throwing in the <laughs> towel. It's been <laughs> Almost two years, Uh, but... In in case anybody can't... (laughs) Can't take it anymore. ...get my dry humor, I am
0: joking. Uh, I love everything about the anticipation and this process. (laughs) Even if there are things that, uh, for a moment I'm wondering, aren't going to be so great, it's fun to talk about it. I'm just looking forward to it all.
1: There is a great article today released in the onering.net that maybe we'll talk about next time because I don't want to totally derail us, um, that speaks to this notion of, listen, we're we in the fandom those of us who are optimistic we're going to dissect we're going to pick apart we're going to talk about things but not necessarily trash it and disparage it right right we're always going to have our little because we know the lore we're going to have our little nitpicks but overall we're obviously really excited
0: well should we let's since we just talked about it let's watch the clip that was aired, and this is the first actual scene we've seen from the show. So let's go ahead and take a look at that.
1: These orcs were meddling with the powers of the unseen world. Some dark sorcery of old, but what was their purpose? Surely it is
0: lost to the ages now. Whatever happened here was long ago. Water.
1: In stone cannot hide the mark of one whose very hand is flame unquenched. He was here. Sauron was here. Tell the others to rest while they can.
0: So there it is. He was here. Sauron was here. So tell me, what do you think of the first scene we've seen from this show?
1: Um, I mean, I like it. It's haunting. It's it's um it certainly leaves you wanting more a little creepy. I do wonder, I don't him Sauron leaving a mark like his brand, his stamp, right, right. What did you think about that because there's no sort of indication, I don't think from the books of this ever really happening or not happening in the way that they're depicting it.
0: I agree um, with you there I could not find anything. Um, remotely like that. Now, I will let's give some credit to our friend over at uh, Harry over at Daily Rings of Power. Um, I listen to his daily podcast, which all of you should as well, which he started uh, just a a couple weeks ago. Every morning, 15 minutes giving you your daily dose of Rings of Power news and speculation. So, um, clearly, I listen to it now. And uh, he talked about this clip, and he reminded me of something that uh, I had forgotten, which is in The Lord of the Rings proper, when it describes the death of Elendil and Gil- Gilgalad, talks about dying, basically like being burned to death from Sauron's touch, or that being sort of a contributing factor to their death, like the, the, the heat from his hands. And uh, I think another example was when Isildur talks about the ring and how the ring is so hot and it just burns him. It hurts him to hold it. And also that the lettering had faded off of the ring and would only appear if you put it in the fire. As Silda wrote in the letter, perhaps it missed the heat of Sauron's hand. So those are a couple of examples that would indicate that, all right, Sauron had really hot hands. <laughs> now, does that mean that you like, touches something and it leaves a mark? I, you know, I don't know. What kind of magic is that? I've never heard of that. It's clearly some kind of visual... A visual cue that they have created for the purposes of the show. Sauron's going to have a mark and it's going to be on people's skin. You know, the- Theo had that mark. Oh, and this is the mm-hmm. first time that we've confirmed, it is fully confirmed that that mark is Sauron's mark. We were speculating it was maybe mm-hmm. Morgoth's mark, something from the first age that is carried through Sauron being a servant of Morgoth, blah, blah, blah. No, this is the mark of Sauron, apparently. And Galadriel apparently recognizes his mark and knows his name. So she actually has a lot of knowledge about who Sauron is and uh, what he's been up to.
1: The dark mug. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to depict, they're clearly hunting this evil down. Um, but I liked the dialogue here, simple, effective. I like the the depiction of the dead elf. It looks like a dead elf. It looks a lot like the aesthetic that we see in the minds of Moria from the Lord of the Rings um, the original Peter Jackson, hmm. like the decayed body looks a whole lot like that sure, aesthetic. So sure. they're carrying over a lot of those elements. And that I really like.
0: Yeah, I think I don't think it's an elf. I think it's an orc. Oh. Which their version of the orcs are a little more visually similar to elves, I think. So like an orc corpse, I could see being mistaken for an elf corpse in a way. But like the, the teeth are pointy and jaggedy. Like this looks like a dead orc to me, I think. So my opinion of this scene, I was kind of lukewarm on it, honestly. I didn't hate it. I also didn't love it. And it felt a little bit formulaic to me. And it seemed like we're seeing it's kind of like a fantasy noir. They're searching. They're hunting for clues. She looks at this brand.
1: It felt very like Raiders of the Lost Ark or Indiana Jones or something. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Some dark sorcery of old. Kind of like a very vague, generic reference to generic fantasy terms. Dark sorcery of old. And then the guy says, oh, lost to the ages, basically saying there's no way we can know. And then Galadriel zooms in on the one snowflake and watches it fall. And then as it touches the brand, it illuminates the clue and it's Sauron's brand. (gasps) You know, it's it just felt a little campy to me. So I I didn't love it. Clearly, I didn't love it. And then Sauron was here. Tell the others to rest up. It just felt um, a little formulaic, but I didn't hate it. Even though it sounds like I hated it, I didn't hate it.
1: <laughs> sounds like you hated it. <laughs> no, no,
0: no, no. <laughs> but my standards, my standards at this point are so high because we've seen so much good stuff. Like uh, now, whenever we I have, we've lukewarm, seen so I'm much like, good oh, okay.
1: stuff, and this definitely was not my favorite scene. Yeah. I'm surprised that yeah. they chose this scene because she really shines in some of the even shorter clips that we've seen, mm-hmm. and this is just a little bit lackluster. Yeah, they didn't give us too much on Colbert uh there so hopefully they're saving the best for the premiere when we finally get to see episode one i don't want to give too much away
0: let's ruminate a quick moment (laughs) on the whole dark sorcery thing we see an orc like his corpse is i don't know tied to or trapped in the walls it looks like it's like been sucked into the wall kind of um we see what kind of looks like a lab you know you look around that that
1: hmm.
0: the setting it's there's a clearly a forge of some kind that Sauron had his mark on which I like because Sauron was a maiar of Oule he was a student of Aule way back in the day before he turned evil um so he is a maker he loves making stuff so which is i just i guess generically represented in the show by a forge he liked to play with his forge and that's where his mark was but there's other there's like you can s- see structures around the room and it kind of just looks like hey this was his Workshop. He liked to build uh, machines of torment. But what dark sorcery would that be? Because I don't think they would reference that in an empty way. I think that that dark sorcery is going to pay off. Like, what was he experimenting with? What was he trying to create? And, and in what way did it involve this orc that is now a corpse? Clearly, he had orc servants assisting in some way. Uh, what were they doing there? So I know we've speculated that this was in an ancient stronghold of Morgoth. Uh, we speculated it was Atumno. Sauron kind of set up shop again and was playing around in there any guesses about what that might be and I, I don't really have any guesses
1: uh no except that it is totally consistent with the lore that like for a lot of the time we're wondering what is Sauron doing what are the dark forces doing and they really mention it in that va- he doesn't go deep into it yeah. he, a lot of times it's sort of vaguer terms like they're You know, stirring up evil. They're getting ready. They're building their forces, and so giving us like a little glimpse of like what they might have gotten up to without getting too too specific is kind of perfect.
0: Right. He was he was getting up to bad guy stuff. Just just generic like bad guy stuff. Bad guy stuff. Yeah. Dark sorcery (laughs) of old. You know that 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 old chestnut. (laughs) Throw a corpse into a wall, and uh, you got your haunted house.
1: See if it sticks. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know. I mean. I'm hoping that they actually don't spend too, too much time on stuff like that, you know, because the books don't spend that much time on it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if you spend too much time talking about nuggets from the past, you don't spend enough time on the present plot line, you know, so it's kind of a delicate Mm -hmm. balance. You want to see the things from the past to the extent that they are critical to the character's arc. So showing Finrod to the extent his relationship with Galadriel is central to her arc. But. Right. If you're constantly doing flashbacks, it kind of gets into just like fan service territory. If it's not really mm-hmm. core to your character's current predicament or current conflict. So, yeah, it's a delicate balance. As much as everyone says they want to see all the first stage stuff, and I want to see it too. I want it to be shown in service of the plot that we were being given, the story that we are watching. You know, I don't want it to just be empty fan service. So it'll be a delicate balance. Um, hopefully they'll toe that line
1: yes definitely what we're all hoping for well we've got so much more to go over yeah i think
0: we got another episode worth to to get through so we're gonna call it quits for today um we've got some articles and all of the san diego comic-con panels to chat through so really a ton of good stuff and i don't know we'll probably record that in another day or two and and throw it up we are all hands on deck here rings of power all day all day uh but for now i think we're Mm -hmm. gonna call it quits Throw us a subscribe, a like, you know, share us with your friends. It really helps us out. We really appreciate you listening. We love all of you listeners and hearing from you in our emails and interacting with you on Twitter. We're just so thankful to have this community that, that we have been a part of. All you fans are just really, really wonderful. So thank you so much. If you want to share us with your friends, we'd appreciate that as well. Be sure to go check out our sister podcast, Watch Party Wheel of Time, and the newest member of the Watch Party Network, A Watch Party of Ice and Fire, which is also running overtime right now because House of the Dragon is premiering on HBO in just a week or so. So they're going to have some great, great content. If you're into House of the Dragon, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones, you will love what they're doing. It's really, really fun stuff. Trivia, and they're they're a fun crew. So please go check them out. So until next time, thank you, Jen. I'll see you, I don't know, tomorrow or the next day to talk about this more.
1: I will see you very shortly, Michael.
0: And may the hair on your toes never fall out.